That's a beautiful song, isn't it? Yes. 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 Yes! This morning I had some little children over there sing that song. And they were just excited about it. And right now I don't feel quite as excited as they acted this morning. But I think before we get started, we need to commit this time to the Lord in prayer. And so let's just bow before Him in a word of prayer. Father God, here we are tonight and we've listened to these beautiful hymns and raised our voices together and sang them. And Father, the last one we sang, ask us all a question and we all sang the answer. And Father, I just pray that in the tomorrows of our life we can remember that we said yes. And not because we're anything, but because there was another man that said yes. Our Savior, Jesus. Father, we just commit this time to Your hands. And we just ask that each one of us will be spoken to in the depths of our hearts. And that when we leave here, we'll be different than when we came. In Jesus' name, Amen. The topic that I was assigned tonight was called brokenness. Brokenness. And you know something? I wouldn't even have to preach this message tonight because that's been the message of this whole week, hasn't it? You're a living testimony of this very message. Brokenness. Thank you, brother. But I was thinking about the last message on the last night of the last day of this entire week of being together, what would I leave with you by the power of God as you left this place? And I'll just tell you, I didn't really have any idea what the Lord was going to leave us with. But He's left me with a subtitle for brokenness. Beauty or the beast. How do you view brokenness? As beauty or as a beast? The reason I want to ask you this question is because I want to go back just a little bit to what I said on Wednesday night about the cross. For those of you that weren't here, the cross, I'll just recap that just very briefly. The cross... I believe, is your attitude. Two people, one is a believer and one's not a believer, if they both have cancer, only one of them is bearing their cross because they're following Jesus like the Word says, but they both have cancer. So their attitude really is their cross that they decide to pick up every day and follow Jesus no matter what's in their life, no matter if it's cancer or broken legs or... 
11 friends die in a tragic accident or a little girl gets killed in an accident, no matter what, they're willing to pick that attitude up and carry it on. Because Jesus did with that same fervency. And I want to view brokenness like that too tonight. And I don't want to just view brokenness as something that we experience and that we define by pain and that we define by wounds. Tonight, those might be the things that break us, but there's a reason that brokenness is brought into our lives. And I believe that we can see through those cracks and we can see beauty or we can see a beast. Beauty or the beast. The reason I say that is because I just want you to think about what Brother Leslie shared about that little girl that fell off the rock and sued the school. And his exact words, I believe, was that that was a very broken experience that they went through. But you remember what happened? Leslie didn't see a beast, did he? When he was up here explaining that to us, you know what I saw? I saw beauty. I saw the beautiness of a heart that loved Jesus. Not only shining out to that little girl, but to her family. And the Lord magnified that and shined it right back to the school. But there was brokenness there. And you're going to experience brokenness when you leave this place. And some of you have experienced it here. Maybe all of us have to a certain extent. But I just want to ask you, how do you view brokenness in your life? Do you view it as beauty or a beast? I would like for you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. We're just going to read a few verses together. Matthew 26, starting in the sixth verse. Now when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment, and poured it on his head, and he sat at meat. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? For this ointment may have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For we have the poor always, for ye have the poor always with you, but me ye have not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this 
that this woman hath done be told for all for a memorial of her. To what purpose is this waste? To what purpose is this waste? Have you ever thought of brokenness that way? That's exactly what them disciples thought about. Here come this woman with this little alabaster box and she broke it. It was broken. And immediately they said, to what purpose is this waste? They viewed it as something that would not be a blessing at all. They viewed it as a beast. What purpose is that waste? Just broke. But Jesus, in the 10th verse, He said, it was wrought for a good work. Same box. The same little box was broken. But Jesus saw it differently, didn't He? He saw the beauty of it. It was broken. But He said it's broken for a good work. Alabaster boxes. Alabaster boxes are made out of white stones that are really soft. And you can carve them and you can form them and you can put them together and they're just an empty box. Just an empty alabaster box from a little town in Egypt called Alabastro. And they're just a little box. And they don't have anything in them. But they used to take these little boxes and they'd fill them full of fragrant perfumes. And when this woman took this box, there's some. I'm not going to turn to the other references in the Gospels about this similar account, but you can find that. And in one of them it says that she broke the box. And what that means is that these boxes were usually made with a neck on them and they broke that off so they could pour out the contents. Now them men, when they saw that box being broken and they said, to what purpose was this waste? What were they really saying? They were really saying, why did that box get broken? Why did it break? It was full of expensive perfume. Maybe cost three or four hundred dollars by today's standards and just dumped it out. Why? That was a waste. Oh, but Jesus didn't see that, did He? No. He saw how much it had cost that woman and He saw how much she was willing to pour out for Him. How much are you willing to be poured out tonight like wine? How much are you willing to be broken like that alabaster box on the order tonight? And most of all, how do you view that? Because each one of you are an alabaster box. You're just an empty alabaster box until you're broken. And when you're broken, whatever's inside is going to come out. 
And some of us have been broken this week and we didn't like what came out very much, did we? But praise God, you can fill it up with something else if you didn't like what came out. I just thought about two things that you could fill up an empty alabaster box with. And I don't even have to tell you which one you'd like to carry around all the time. You can fill an alabaster box full of gasoline or you can fill one full of honey. It's your choice. It's your choice. One is so sweet you would never say, what a waste when that stuff ran out and you got to use it. But the other one, it wouldn't be very pretty if you dumped gasoline out all over someone. It would be terrible. Well, tonight, we're going to look through the broken box a little bit to the contents. I'd like for you to turn with me to another Scripture. Psalm 34, 18. Psalm 34, 18. The reason I'm sharing Psalm 34.18 with you tonight, you remember on Wednesday night when I shared with you, I said there was a man in Ohio that I had texted and asked him to explain to me why he did not have a clear conversion and why he thought he didn't. And I also texted him another question. Why do you think that you have to have brokenness in your life? And you know what he texts me back? I know all about brokenness. Let's talk about clear conversion. You know what happened one month ago this coming Sunday? His five-year-old girl died in an automobile accident. And he thought he already knew all there was to know about brokenness. But I want to tell you something tonight. In the last month, I've learned all about brokenness from him. Because when his alabaster box got broken, I saw what poured out. And I want to share this verse with you because I don't know when you will have this in your life, but I want to share this verse with his testimony behind it. Psalm 34:18. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. This brother come home from the hospital with all of his family except the little girl that had died. And he was getting ready to send these little girls up to their bed. The first night they'd been home from the hospital after this tragic accident, 
And he said, I can't send him to bed with an empty mind. And so he just let the Bible fall open and put his finger on the page and has put his finger on the page at Psalm 34, 18. And he read Psalm 34, 18 to them little girls and he said, little girls, tonight you are broken hearted. We're broken. Our family is not complete anymore. Not here. But he said, I want you to go to bed and think about that. They sent, he sent him to bed. And he went over to the kitchen table. And he sat down at his computer. To the prayer wall that maybe some of you sent prayers to electronically. He said he sat down and the screen came on and the very next thing that come on the screen was a prayer from a brother and a sister. Psalm 34, 18. Two days later, he was getting ready to walk out the door to the viewing of this little girl. And he had a stack of cards about two feet tall that he hadn't opened. And he felt like he needed something in his heart to continue to pursue his heart, to keep him so he could continue to minister to all these hurting people that was coming through the viewing line to view his little girl. And he pulled a card out of the middle of the stack and opened it up. And the verse on the front of that card was Psalm 34, 18. And he told his grandpa... He said, this is amazing, Grandpa. He said, this verse just keeps coming back. Coming back. And he was at his father-in-law's and his grandpa said, go get a Bible. There's more in that verse. Go get it. The Lord is speaking to you. And he went and he got his father-in-law's Bible and he opened it up. And there was a bookmark at Psalm 34, 18. And he asked his father-in-law, he said, how long have you had that bookmark there? And his father-in-law said, I have never saw that bookmark before today. Never. And one of his cousins from West Virginia called him one day, a week later. She said, I was walking through a parking lot And I saw a piece of paper on the ground and I picked it up and it reminded me of you. And it had these words, The Lord is nigh unto them that are broken hearted. Or of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. And he said, yeah, that's Psalm 34, 18. She said, yeah, it could be. And he said, no, it is. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is nigh unto them that be of a broken heart. I guess the reason it touches me so much is because I have a long-distance relationship with this brother and he's a really good friend of mine. And I opened my Bible to Psalm 34.18 and it has a star beside it and I never remember drawing that star there. And I wonder, Lord, what do you have for me there? As I view brokenness, 
Do I see beauty or do I see a beast? I want to turn to another story. John chapter 12. Because really, if we don't see this in brokenness, we're just going to miss the whole thing. There was a group of people that come to Jesus and they said, we want to see Jesus. We would see Jesus, is the words in the 20, at the very end of the 21st verse of John chapter 12. And Philip and Andrew came and told Jesus that there were some of these people that wanted to see Him. And this is what Jesus said. Verse 23, And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve him, serve me, him will my father honor. Now what did Jesus just tell them people? He said, you're not going to have any life. You're not going to have any life until your shell has been cracked open. Because it's going to be just like a grain that you put in the ground. Just like a seed that you sow. If you just put it in there, it has to die. It has to be broken open before the life can come out from the inside. And this is in the context of following Jesus. This is not in the context of going out and sowing a bunch of, of, of uh, grain in the ground to make bread. Well, actually it is. It's to make the bread of life, isn't it? So, as we serve Him, remember in the coming days there will be brokenness. And it depends on our view of brokenness as how we view it in our lives. If it's going to make us bitter or if it's going to make us better. I think really in the day and age that we live in, there's two kinds of Christians. I guess I shouldn't say that. In the day and age we live in, there's a couple different ways that we should not think. We shouldn't be so close to the cross that we can't see Jesus on there. Or all we're going to see is broken pottery and broken alabaster boxes. And all we're going to see is wounds and pain. We must see Jesus. On the other hand, we must not just see Jesus and not accept any brokenness in our life because they go hand in hand. When you see Jesus, He's going to be on the cross. And He's going to be in the cross and so are you. 
2 Corinthians chapter 4 just simply says, you don't even have to turn here, for we preach not ourselves, but Jesus Christ the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And I just want to ask you tonight, when your earthen vessel gets shattered, what is the treasure that's going to come pouring out? When your earthen vessel gets shattered, what is the treasure that you've been holding on to? What is the treasure that you have filled yourself with? With this old clay pot. This old hard alabaster box that you call a heart. What's it full of? What's the treasure inside? I think there's a reason. I think there's a reason that we don't see Jesus and the cross together. I think there's a reason that we don't feel like we can accomplish what we set out to do sometimes in our life. And I think there's a reason why the devil has used this brokenness thing and tried to twist it all around so you think that if you're broken, you don't have Jesus. And you think that if you're, if you're broken, all you can see is these big scars and wounds. And that is simply one word. I shared this this morning or today in our prayer group, and I'd like to share it with you tonight. And there's a brother that's been picking on a lot of you, and I'm going to pick on him tonight. So Pete, come on up here, please. Stand right here, face everybody. On the front of this podium is a cross. I want you to try to touch the cross. I didn't say touch it, I said try to touch it. <laughs> you see what I mean? There's this little word called try. And if you're trying, if you're just trying to see Jesus tonight, not going to work. You must, you must see Jesus. You can't just keep trying. Trying is a word that we have invented in the English language for failure. If you keep trying, you will fail. Because you've already told yourself you will. You're just going to keep trying. Thank you. Don't try. Don't try to see Jesus. You must see Jesus tonight. Well, I want to talk some more about what would be the ultimate form of brokenness that you can think of. What's the very... If you can take all the brokenness that you've ever heard about and roll it into one thing, what is it? I've already put it in your minds at the cross right here on the front of this podium. 
And I just wonder how you view the cross tonight. I wonder if there's more than one way that we could view the cross. And I want us to turn again to Luke chapter 23. We're in Bible school, so I thought it'd be good if we used the Bible a lot tonight. Luke chapter 23, verse 39 through 43. Luke chapter 23, verse 39 says, And one of the male factors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Now I want you to compare the, the sayings of those two men. Three men on the cross that night or that day. Jesus and two male factors, one on his left hand and one on his right. And one man said, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. If you're Christ, you try to save us. If. He had a doubt already as soon as He opened His mouth. He merely saw the cross as a beast. Something that was going to wreck His life with no hope out of it. And He said, if. He doubted in His mind. The same as that word, try. Are you trying? If. I'm going to try, but what if... I want to try to, to consecrate that to God, but what if... What if He really isn't who He says He is? What if He really can't make it happen for me? Well, I'm here standing in front of you tonight saying that He can make it happen. Because if He made it happen for me, He can make it happen for every single one of you. You know all that testimony I shared with you on Wednesday night? It didn't happen when I was your age. Four years ago. Four years ago, this was just another empty book. But I'm going to tell you something. Whenever Jesus Christ gets a hold of your life and changes you, there's no ifs and there's no trying. It happens. And praise God, this book comes alive. Not with words but with the very power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And it's the same power that can course through your veins tonight and whatever you've made right with God and filled up your empty box can come alive with power. And the other man on the cross? There was no doubt. He said, Lord, remember me! Lord! Remember me. In the middle of His brokenness, 
He just cried out, Lord, remember me. Don't forget that. Write it down somewhere. Lord, remember me. Oh, but there was another man there. Remember the middle man. He died. He died for you and for me. And tonight, I'm going to set the bar pretty high. In this book, it tells us exactly what needs to be in here. It tells us exactly what needs to be filling these old, cold, alabaster heart boxes of ours. So when they're cracked open, what can pour out? 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1 says, For as much then as Christ had suffered for us in the flesh... And you're a bunch of warriors, right? Arm yourselves! Therefore, likewise with the same mind, for he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. Tonight I'm going to set the bar for you to be filled up with Jesus from the inside out. So every time you're broken, you know what's going to pour out? Just what that testimony of that brother Leslie back there had. You're going to pour out blessings to everyone around you. Tonight, for text, just one sentence. Second chapter Philippians. Just one sentence. But it's a long one. Four verses long. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you. That was in, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That's the bar tonight. That's the last message on the last night of the last day of this week. When you leave here, I want you soldiers to be full of one thing. The very mind of Christ Jesus. Fill them alabaster boxes clear up tonight. And here we go. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You know, Paul was writing this to a group of people in this little town of Philippi. And he had come through there he had been diverted by the Holy Spirit to go through a completely different area than what he was wanting to go into. Back in Acts chapter 16, he got this vision about this man from Macedonia saying, 
Help us! And he turned, the Spirit turned him into this area of Macedonia. And whenever he got there, and he was obedient to this vision from the Lord, the first convert he had was a woman named Lydia. And I just want to make this real clear. That Paul wanted to go one place, but the Spirit made him go a different place. But it wasn't because God didn't care about them people. Because the very first convert named Lydia was from the place where he wanted to go to start with. The second convert was this demonic woman that followed him around, had the spirit of divination. And you remember who the third converts were. They were this, this man that locked him up in jail. Remember where they were at? They were at a little town called Philippi. And Paul was writing this letter to the very people that he had that had locked him up. There was this church in this place where the Spirit had led him to whenever he was trying to go one place and had been led another to this little town of Philippi. And here he writes this letter to him and he said, Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Because he wanted them to raise the bar. And I haven't, we haven't been together very long. And I don't feel like you've locked me up. But there's one thing that I want you to have when you leave this place. I want you to have the mind of Christ Jesus inside of your box. Because last night I watched you touch a lot of people. And if you have the mind of Christ Jesus in you, they're going to see it too. And you're going to make a difference in this world, not just in Spokane, but wherever the Holy Spirit calls you to go. And there's some little children back there in the back that's going to need you to tell them the same thing someday. And you're going to have little children of your own if time lasts and the Lord is willing. And the community that you live in needs to know about Jesus. And if any of you ever get married, Lord willing, your marriage needs to be founded upon something called the mind of Jesus Christ. And there's another thing too. If any of you are part of a church denomination or affiliation, it needs to have the mind of Jesus Christ in it. And, 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 and. Every single time that your box gets shattered, the mind of Christ Jesus needs to come pouring out to everyone around you. And tonight the reason this is so important is because as warriors, we might be in the middle of battle. And Satan sometimes gets us diverted and thinks, oh, the battle's for that. Or the battle's for this. 
But I want to tell you tonight that war is for your mind. And if the devil can get that, he'll have the rest of your life. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Oh, it can't happen to me. Yes, it can. Do you know how much advertisement works? 30 seconds. 30 seconds on television during the 2010 Super Bowl. Just 30 seconds. Costs $3 million. Do you think Satan doesn't know that advertisement works? I think we're all living proof that he does. Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Not only is the battle for the mind and the war is for the heart, but the war is for the soul. And it will last forever. It's for the souls of every man and woman you saw last night. It's for the soul of every man and woman you're going to see tomorrow. It's for your soul. It's for mine. It's for the soul of every single young folks. Every single person in every single remote village of every single country on every single continent on this globe. That's where the war is. And it's right here tonight. I want to just go through a list of things about your mind. And I would encourage each one of you to study that word mind. You know, I think we heard during the course of this week that whatever happens in our mind, or whatever sin we commit happens in our mind first. In the New Testament especially is very, very descriptive on how our mind should be. And I'm just going to read a whole list of things that I pulled out of verses about our minds. We are warned against having a doubtful mind, a reprobate mind, a carnal mind, a blind mind, vanity in our mind, earthly mind, fleshly mind, a shaken mind, a corrupt mind, a defiled mind, and an unstable mind. But we are called to be renewed in our mind, be fully persuaded in our mind, have one mind, the same mind, a willing mind, a ready mind, a lowliness in our mind, humbleness of mind, a sound mind, pure mind, and a wise mind. Just do a study on that and just see where the Lord takes you with your mind. See how see why advertisement for 30 seconds is worth $3 million. It's because if He can get a hold of your mind, He's got you. And brokenness will be viewed as something to be detested. As a beast. But if Jesus is in your mind, brokenness is just another channel to share the beauty of the Gospel with somebody around you. So 
So we're going to go through these verses in Philippians chapter 2. Because we want to learn more about the mind that was in Christ Jesus. Because we want it to be our mind. Verse 6 just says, "...who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God." You know, I camped on that verse for a while. I camped on it and I thought, what does that really mean? There's a man named David H. Stern. Maybe some of you have heard about him before. But David H. Stern was a Jewish man that got converted to Christianity. And he felt like that the New Testament had been written mainly by Jewish people to mainly a Jewish community. And he felt like he owed it to his belief and his love for Jesus to go back into the original language that he knew really well because he was a Jew and just converted into modern English. And I have a copy of his Bible and he also goes through and explains all kinds of of customs and manners that the Jewish people had. So it just makes the word bloom in front of your eyes. And this man, he he um, wrote this verse this way. Though he was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God something to be possessed by force. Though he was in the form of God, though he was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God. He didn't regard being equal with God as something to be possessed by force. The King James Version says, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And that um, version that James or that David H. Stern wrote made the King James Version come more alive to me. Because that simply means to me that even though he was God, there's no question about that. Jesus Christ was the Son of God. He is God in person. He was the in the form of God. But he did not regard that as something to be possessed by force. He did not think that that was something that he needed to rob God of. Now, have you ever, can you think of anybody in history that ever thought that the Godhead was something to be possessed by force? Let's turn to the 12th chapter of Isaiah. 12th chapter of Isaiah, or 14th chapter of Isaiah, excuse me. Isaiah 14:12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut to the ground which didst weaken the nations? Isaiah chapter 14 verse 13. For thou hast said in thine heart, 
I will ascend unto heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will set also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. I will be like the Most High, said Lucifer. I will possess the Godhead by force. But Jesus, the mind of Jesus, no, wasn't that way. He said, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He didn't think it was something that he needed to possess by force. One other reading, Genesis chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Actually, let's start at verse 4. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Genesis chapter 3 verse 5 says, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. And in the fifth verse, ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. I think Adam and Eve wanted to storm the throne because Satan had talked them into that and said, you can possess the throne. You can be a god. And I wonder tonight if this mind is in any of us. Oh no, maybe it's not quite like that. But what about what about that relationship? What about that one relationship that you have with somebody in your family that you would kind of just like take control of it? And just make it just make it right or or make them right? Or what about what about that thing in your job? When you just want to go in there and just take control of the situation, you think, well, if, it was, if I was in control of this thing, I'd just make it all just like this. But no, that's not the mind that was in Jesus. He did not see that as something to be held by force. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. I've labeled each of these verses as part of the outline. I'm sorry I didn't give that to you first, but the sixth verse here I've labeled as the selflessness of the Son. The selflessness of the Son. This was part of His mind. He was completely selfless. He didn't, he didn't even acknowledge who he was. He just wanted to, he just wanted God. Or he didn't think that being on the throne was something worth robbing God of. He thought so much of his father that he did not try to rob the throne and be equal with him, even though he already was 
in the form of God. Whatever it is tonight, I think the plows ran pretty deep this week. I think there's a lot of you that's already plowed this furrow. You've already dethroned yourself from the throne. Praise God. Praise God. And I just want to exhort you, continue to let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Because I'm going to tell you something, when you leave this place, the battle's going to continue. And this is just kind of like a little bubble. And we've done a lot of business with God in this bubble. But when we leave here, it's going to be a little different. And I know that because I've been here. And this week's going to go over and you're going to feel weak. But I'm going to tell you something. If this mind that was in Christ Jesus is in your mind, it's going to be okay. You're not going to have to try. You're not, there's not going to be a lot of... If, if, if you're really on the throne of my heart, God, no. You're going to say, because you are on the throne of my heart and you are on the throne of my mind, I am not going to be selfish. I choose to have the selflessness of the Son in my mind. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made Himself of no reputation and took upon Him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Verse 7, I have titled The Service of a Servant. The Service of a Servant. But he made of himself no reputation. The service of a servant. That's all translated from one word. Kenosis. Kenosis. Do you know what kenosis means? He made of himself no reputation. He made of Himself nothing. He poured out Himself. He kenosis Himself of Himself. When you're broken, what comes out? When you're broken and it comes rolling through the crack, through that wound, And you have in your sight what? What comes pouring out of the inside of the alabaster box? Remember, whatever it's full of. What are you full of tonight? What are you full of? You know what Jesus is full of? 
He was not full of himself. He poured himself out. And most of us have done that this week. We've poured ourselves out on the altar. Gone. Now let's fill it up. What did Jesus fill it up with? Let's read. He made of Himself no reputation and took upon Him the form of a servant. He took upon Him the form of a servant. That word servant. I want to camp there for just a minute. That word servant means slave. Bottom line. Now, I want to ask you a question. If you were a slave, who would tell you what to do? Your master would. Well, if Jesus had just poured Himself out completely, and then He, he was completely empty, and He took upon Him the form of a slave, what did He get filled up with? He got filled up with His Master. He got filled up with the Father. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus who poured Himself out of Himself, filled Himself with the Father. Let this mind also be in you which was in Christ Jesus. And not only did He take upon Him the form of a slave but He was made in the likeness of men. You remember there was even a prophecy back in Isaiah 53 about that. That He would pour out His soul unto death. He would kenosis Himself completely of Himself. I know that's pretty hard to understand, but that's what He did and that's what we're called to do as well. Now I want to put before you just a little just a little question to understand it just a little bit better. And this is just a really weak illustration. But what do you think it would be like to become a slug? I mean, if you could just become a slug, what do you think it'd be like? I mean, yeah, just like a little slug, just one of them that you find in the flower bed or, or out underneath a rock or something, what do you think it would feel like to become a slug? I mean, what do you think it would be like not to have any arms and legs? Leave a slimy little trail wherever you went. What do you think would be running through your mind? Well, Jesus, it says, took on Him the form of a slave. And He was made in the likeness of men. And for one of us to become a slug isn't even close. It isn't even close to what He did. He was God! And He took upon Him the form of a man! The form of what you and I are. Just a little slug. But that's what He did. He poured Himself out of Himself. And He took upon Him the likeness, the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, it says. 
Now I want to ask you a question. Would it make any difference if the reason that you was to become a slug was because you wanted to be? Or would it make any difference because somebody asked you to be? It wasn't even something He wanted to do. I mean, He did because He was God. But what I'm saying is, He poured Himself completely out of Himself and it was, He was just in the Father's will. And here's all this brokenness. Is it too much to ask that you just be in the Father's will? Do you think it's a mistake that He's got you where He wants you? Do you really think that there's such a thing as coincidence? Or do you believe that this week there's divine appointments? Do you believe you're here by accident? I think, I fully believe in my mind that before the foundation of the world that God wrote down a list of names of everybody that would be in this room tonight. And then... He closed the book. And he moved on to another page. And this is a divine appointment for every single one of us tonight. We have this moment right now. Who are you going to fill your mind full of? Are you going to fill it full of God? Are you going to fill it full of the Father, the same mind that was in Christ Jesus? Of course, we know that the whole reason was is so that He could save us from ourselves. We're just a bunch of slug bugs down here. But hallelujah, the Father was willing to send His Son. And aren't you glad that Jesus was willing to kenosis completely pour Himself out of Himself and be filled with the Father's will and come down here among a bunch of slugs and raise you up from just a bunch of deadbeats to give you the same power that He gives Jesus when He raised Him from the dead. To share the Gospel every time your alabaster box gets cracked. And He took upon Him the form of a slave. Most of the times that you see the word servant in the New Testament, it could have been translated slave. Paul and Timothy, the slaves of Jesus Christ. The woman back in Acts 16, the woman with divination, when she was following them around, she cried out, These men are the slaves of the Most High, of the Most High God, which will show us the way of salvation. I want to take you back in time as we think about slaves just a little bit. Back into about 1859 on a cold March day. The wind was howling and the rain was beating. And 436 people
people, human souls, stepped up on a platform one by one in front of about 200 buyers. And one by one, they were auctioned off. The expression on the faces of each one of them shared the same story. It told of anguish. It told of broken homes, crushed hopes, and broken hearts. The total amount of sale that day was over $6 million for human souls. And I want to ask you a question. Would you volunteer to step up on the block? Would you volunteer to be a slave? Would you volunteer to be snatched away from everything that you had ever known? But there was a man named Jesus who poured himself out of himself. And he willingly stepped to the block to come down for the ultimate price of the souls of mankind. Two thousand and ten world population. 6.8 billion people. Today, there's 29 million people that are in slavery. Just like what we remember in the American slave trade of the 1850s, today there is more slavery than there has ever been. Ever been in the course of humanity. There's slaves to debt bondage, slaves to indentured servants, forced adoptions, child soldiers, forced marriages. In 2007, the estimated slavery trade topped $91 billion for souls. Would you volunteer? to be sold on today's slave market? There was a man named Jesus that poured Himself out for every human soul that lives in 2010. Willingly, He stepped to the block. Well, I want to talk about another slavery. Most of us are pretty familiar with it. Come to the surface a lot this week. The slavery of sin. The slavery of sin and spiritual bondage. Being sold out to Satan. You know, every minute that I have stood before you, and every minute of every single day that we have been at this place, every single minute that you were awake, and every single minute that you were asleep, 107 people died. Every minute. That means 
that every day there's 154,000 people that die. Every single day. Every single day. Every single day across this world, there's a, a cumulative catastrophe the size of the earthquake in Haiti. Every single day, that many people die. That means that in one month, over five million people come face to face with eternity. Over five million every month. You know why it's so important to have this mind full your mind full of Christ Jesus? It's because half of those people have never even heard of him. Half of those five million people that's going to die this month have never even heard the name Jesus proclaimed to them. Do you see why it's so important that you be strong in the grace that you've been called to this week to be a soldier for Him? Because when you leave here, it's war. And it's not war unless there's a battle. And there's going to be a battle out there And it is for the souls of men. And you're going to be broken just like everybody else is broken. But when you're broken, by the power of God, you know what's going to come pouring out of your heart? The blessings of being a bond servant and a slave to Jesus Christ. Because I know that many of you have willingly stepped up on the block this week. You've given everything because you're willing to have this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And we all know that you can't be forced into this kind of slavery. You have to make a willing choice. Just like Jesus, He was willing to be poured out. Nobody forced Him to. And nobody's going to force you. But you have a choice. You have a choice. Are you willing to volunteer? I think most of you have already. Praise God. As we read back through the Old Testament, we read a lot about Bond slaves and bond servants. Not a lot, but we read about them some. And you know, to be a bond servant, you could become a bond servant through poverty or not being able to repay a debt to somebody. Or you could become a bond servant because you stole something from somebody and you couldn't pay it. Or you could become a bondservant because it was the choice of your parents. So through poverty, say you ran out of money, 
and you needed to continue to live and so you could just go sell yourself as a servant to someone and live under them and and then you would just serve them for an allotted amount of time. It wasn't ever to go over seven years. And the other reason was like if say you accidentally killed your neighbor's ox and you didn't have any money to pay for it, you could become his bondservant to pay for his ox. But it could never go over seven years. And the other thing was is like let's just say I didn't we didn't Cindy and I didn't have enough money to raise all of our children. So I could just take a couple of our children and we could have them be bond servants to Merle and Judy. But it could never go for over seven years. And at the end, or over no more than six years, on the seventh year they had to go free. It could be no more than six years. Or until the year of Jubilee. There was another way that they could be freed, and that was they could be redeemed. That's the word that the Old Testament uses. They could be redeemed when someone else paid the debt in full. A bondservant could be redeemed whenever they were paid in full. And bondservants had to be treated a certain way. If a master of a bondservant caused them personal injury, it specifically says the loss of an eye or a tooth, That was that person's ticket to freedom. They didn't have to be a servant anymore. They had to be treated nice. And these servants, these slaves, these bond servants, they had religious privileges. They were entitled to the Passover and other religious festivals. But on the seventh year, when all these bond servants were released to go back, to their families and to their lands, they could make a choice. They could make a choice, and that choice was simply this. If they had gotten accustomed to their master, to whoever was they were in bond servitude to, if they had grown to love that person and that family, They didn't have to go back. They could choose willingly to stay. And if they willingly chose to stay on under their master's care, they became a bond slave. And that specific word is the word that is servant here in the seventh verse of Philippians chapter 2. But made of himself no reputation and took upon him the form of a bond slave. Jesus did this willingly. Bond slave. Do you know what happened to a bond slave? There was a way they could tell who was a bond servant and who was a bond slave. And this was how they could tell. They would take this bond servant that had just said, I'm not going back there. I'm not going to go back to my family. I want to stay here with you people. 
You're all I know. You've treated me good. The master would say, okay. You understand by making this choice, you have no rights. Your rights are gone. Now you are a bond slave. Come over here by my door. And so they would back that person up to the door and the master would take an awl and he would run it through their ear and pierce their ear. And they were a bond slave. And they weren't a bond slave for five years or six years. They weren't a bond slave until the year of Jubilee. They were a bond slave forever. Forever until they died. And I want to ask you a question tonight. Are you willing to be a bond slave for Jesus? No matter what comes your way in the form of brokenness, are you willing to back up to the door? Are you willing for Him to get out that all and run you through? Are you willing to carry that mark with you everywhere you go? Well, I want to tell you something. Every time you're broken, you're going to share whose door you've backed up to and had your ear ran through with an awl. Is it going to be God's ear or God's door or Satan's door? I want to tell you how come it's so precious to me because I had a dream. I feel like God spoke to me in this dream as I was wrestling around with some of this. And in this dream, I was standing in the doorway of God. I had a really special place in this dream. You always do when it's your dream. And here I was, standing right beside God. In this doorway, it was God's door. And all these holes over the side of the door where they all had been thrust in time after time as people backed up and put their ear against the doorway. And God ran that all through their ear because they were willing to be bond slaves for Jesus. There was a stairway that led up to this doorway. And that stairway went down to a landing and then it turned and it went out of sight. And I could never see the bottom of that stairway in my dream. But I want to tell you what I saw because it was precious. I saw I saw what the Bible says, the redeemed of all ages from every kindred and nation and tongue and people coming up that stairway. And they weren't coming up there by themselves. They were coming up there two by two. And they had their arms draped around each other. And they weren't the same color of skin. And they weren't the same height. And they weren't the same age. But you know what touched my heart? Some of you were there. And I recognized you. 
as you've come up to the door of God and you willingly said, pierce my ear, God, and make it big. Because every time I'm broken, all I want to share is the love of Jesus that was so willing to give His life for me and be a bond slave that I'm willing to do the same. Not for me. But because there's a war and it's about the souls of men. And I'm willing. Count me in. I'm willing to have my ear pierced to be on the altar. I'll say yes. And it was you. And it was other people that I knew. Praise God. Pierce my ear, O Lord, I pray. Take me to Your door today. I will serve no other God. Lord, I'm here to stay. For You have paid the price for me. With Your love, You ransomed me. I will serve You eternally a bond slave for thee. The service of a slave. And let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God but made Himself of no reputation and took upon Him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So we have the selflessness of the Son, the service of a slave or the service of a servant, and the sacrifice of the Savior. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, the sacrifice of a Savior. And He gave up everything He had. He gave up everything He was because He cared so much for you. And He cared so much for me And He cared so much for all of humanity. Let this same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. How much do you care? Do you care enough to go to the cross for someone? I mean a literal cross. Do you care enough? Have you already died in your mind? Have you already ascended the hill of Golgotha? Which one of the thieves are you? as you view brokenness in your life? Are you willing to embrace the beauty of brokenness through the eyes of a Savior? If it would make the difference for one soul, just one. The Bible says it's worth more than the whole world. Would it be worth it for you to be broken like bread to feed the hungry? 
Would it be worth it for you to be poured out like wine when your alabaster box has got broken? For one soul. Would it be worth it? For you to be broken and for everyone to see you had your ear pierced. Because you were willing to be a bond slave forever. So here he was. This is Jesus. This is God Himself. Poured Himself out of Himself and took upon Him the form of a slave. And then He was made in the likeness of these slugs called men that He had created, even though they were in His likeness and image. And then after that He was found like one of these men, He had already humbled Himself from God into man. He had already humbled Himself and made Himself a little lower than angels. And then it says He humbled Himself. That's what the verse says. He humbled Himself then. After He had already went down, after He had already came down, then He humbled Himself. And I want to ask you tonight, do you think brokenness will be a path of humbleness? Would you be willing, after you've poured out yourself of yourself, and filled yourself with the mind of Jesus, would you be willing to be humbled and become obedient unto death? Even the death of the cross. I wonder how much humiliation Jesus felt as He traded His robe of light for a garment of flesh. I just wonder what it was like for him as he stepped down from the throne of the create from the throne of the creator and became the creation you know we can read what it was like for him as he became broken upon the cross and i don't think i'm going to do that right now because we're out of time But as your minds have went back, there's one more man that I want to go talk about in this book. A man of brokenness. Many of your minds are probably already there. This man's name was Job. Because as we get ready to leave here tonight and start... This war next week, this war of divine appointments, I want you to understand something about brokenness. It's not because you've done something wrong. It's because it's necessary for God to break your box to let the love of Jesus pour out to the lives of others around you. And I want us to just look at a couple verses here in Job chapter 1. Start at the sixth verse. And now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, 
And Satan came also among them, and the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? I want to take you to another day. And I don't know when it will be, but Satan is going to come before God again. And God is going to say, Have you considered my servants at the youth Bible school? Have you considered my servants? My bond slaves. Have you considered these young people that filled their minds full of the mind that was in Christ Jesus who thought nothing about pouring themselves out and being filled with Him. Have you considered them? And God allowed this brokenness into Job's life. And I believe one of those things was so it could bless us today. And let's read what Job said when this brokenness came upon him. Verse 20, Then Job arose after he had lost everything he had except his own life and wife. And he said, He rent his mantle and he shaved his head and he fell down upon the ground. But it doesn't stop there. And worshipped! And this is what he said. Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. And the Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When you're broken. When you're broken, and whatever's inside comes pouring out. What does people hear? Do they hear those words? Blessed. Be the name of the Lord. There's a brother in Ohio that I just talked to a couple hours ago. I called him before this. I preached this message. You know why I called him? Because I wanted to hear him say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. A month ago, he married, buried his five-year-old girl. And he cannot stop worshiping God. In the middle of brokenness, you know what he sees? He sees beauty. And you know what everyone else around him sees? They see the mind of Jesus Christ come pouring out when his alabaster box got broken. And tonight, I want to ask you how you view brokenness. You view it as beauty or the beast? One more question before we sing a song. Would you let the mind of the master be the master of your mind? Would you let the mind of the master be the master of your mind tonight? Now, I want to, on this 
easel here, there's a song that we don't have the words to. And we're going to sing that song. And while we're singing that song, if anybody needs to do business with God, they can come up here and do it. And then after that's over, we're going to have some more instruction after the song's over. So I'm going to turn this song around. Because I want to know how many of us have been perfectly broken.
want to take some time because this is the young folks or the young people's youth Bible school. A lot of you have been perfectly broken this week. Praise God. There's two more exercises I'd like to do. Because you're going to leave here, I want you to leave something else here forever. I want you to write on a piece of paper the things the Lord has delivered you from this week and perfectly broke you up. And then we're going to line up and we're going to put them in the blaze king and we're going to burn them. And they're going to be gone. And when you leave here, you don't need to look back at them. And the other thing we're going to do is this is your time. If any of you feel pressed to come up here, there's another altar. It's not always the altar of confession up here. But tonight we're going to have an altar of praise. And I would just like to see a show of hands of everyone that would like to share their testimony at the altar of praise tonight. Anybody want to just come up here and just share how the Lord has broke them this week? And if you don't, understand that. Start writing. Come on up here, sister. Just start writing. All the things you want to go in that stove over there. And you just go put them in there, and we're going to start a fire, and they're going to be gone. Share. We got an application for Bible school a couple months, a month ago, and my heart filled with fear because I knew if I came here that I would be broken, and I didn't think I was ready for that. And I sought counsel for that, and I was told that I was stupid to not consider coming here. So I came. I filled out that application and I sent it in. The packet came and I got scared again. The very first thing on that list had something to do with memorizing ten verses out of the Bible. And though those verses mean a lot to me, I was scared because I knew I'd have to stand up in front of all these people and I'd have to say it. So I started praying, and I prayed that the Lord would just save me from that, that I wouldn't have to stand up and recite those ten verses in front of all these people. And I prayed that, and I prayed that until Thursday morning. Wednesday after prayer group, I shared with my sisters in the prayer group that I was scared and that I didn't want to do it. So right away they all said, okay, say it to us. You say it to us and we'll tell Pete to put that green book down and not even look at your name. And I said, no, if you do that, Pete will say it. She can say it to you, she can say it to us. I don't want that. I went back to my room and I got a phone call from my sister. Actually, I returned a phone call to my sister. So I would just like to say right now, if you feel led to pray for anybody, it's her that needs your prayers. I came down here in tears, and I sought out one of the sisters, and we went up to the lodge, and we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed. And I felt peace. 
we came back down here. We listened to Brother Shane, and I was moved again. I went back to my cabin, and I had a voicemail, so I listened to it. And it was from my sister, who I'm very worried about. She said, Bethany, I don't know what you're worried about. I don't know what's bothering you. I just want you to know I'm praying for you. And tonight, as I was reading my Bible and talking to the Lord, I was asked to call you and leave you these verses. And they're from Isaiah 55, verses 6 through 10. And I'm not going to recite them. But a couple of them say something like, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. That's not right, but that's what they say. So I started praying, and I just I couldn't get this reciting thing off. I knew there was only Thursday breakfast and Friday breakfast and Friday supper left and Saturday breakfast. And I knew that it was going to be my turn, and I was trembling. So I started praying. At first that night, I still prayed that God would just spare me that. And then I started praying, but God, I guess if you think I need to get up and talk to all those people, at least just let me choose whether to recite this passage or to share what I learned this morning. But then I still didn't feel right. So I started praying again. And I prayed, God, if it's your will that you would humble me by having to get up and make myself vulnerable to all those people, that's what I want. And I read that a couple more times, and I went to sleep, and I slept better that night than I've slept since that application came in the mail. We had the Bible that we were supposed to be highlighting to pass out yesterday. And at breakfast time, I was trying to find Isaiah 55, and it wasn't in that Bible. That Bible was missing a chunk from Isaiah 7 to Jeremiah 46, and I was disappointed. It just about ruined my day. So I called Brother Pete over, and Pete said, Well, give me that Bible. So he held it up, and he said, We've got an editor over here that found a mistake. So if you have that, I don't remember what all he said. And then I saw that look in his eyes, and I knew he was going to ask me to stand up and recite Isaiah, or Second Timothy 1, verses, Second Timothy 2, verses 1 through 10. But you know what? I wasn't scared anymore. I didn't even hesitate. I about started to stand up before he even said my name. He said, Bethany, would you share? And didn't even bother me. I didn't do it right, but with the help of some of the rest of you, I did it. And I can say I have victory over my fear of man. And I hope that you can all say that too because it feels very good.
I can testify that she did overcome her fear because I stood on a street corner with her with a sign. What did your sign say? Be sure your sins will find you out. Flash them right out to all them people driving by. Fire's blazing. Leave it here. Anybody else have a testimony they want to share? I'll just say that um, God has been with me this week and in our memory verses it says, Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And I'll admit I've always had a fear of going out in Spokane or wherever and sharing sharing the gospel. But as we've been going through this week and just hearing a lot of good preaching straight from God that we can have victory over our fear of man and we can only fear man or God. And I've got a lot of stuff written down on that paper that I'm going to go over there and throw in there here in a little bit. But um, as He has freed me from that stuff, He's also freed me from the fear of man. And as I went out there yesterday, I was not like I would have been two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, I probably would have been trembling as I stood there getting ready to go hand out a track to somebody saying, do you know where you'll be five minutes after you die? Or do you know where you're going to spend eternity? Because I wasn't sure on... I wasn't confident that God could give me the words to share with somebody. But... There's a couple other guys that will testify that we had some some guys that knew they knew the gospel better. They knew the Bible better than I did. They knew more. They could quote more scriptures than I could. But as we stood there, I think for the most part, almost every single time he came out with something that he believed against the word of God, we we either found a scripture or one that contradicted what he was saying. So. I'm just here to say that we can have victory over the fear of man in Christ Jesus. You know what, when you have coaches now, 31 people's lives, but they were before. Or that the Lord delivered us from that. Amen. What do you think saying things right now? Victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He taught me.
because it's very real. I have been broken. For the past six months, I've been in a pit. And I was baptized a year ago. My conversion was true, but there's been something lacking in the last while. And I've been praying for something to happen. I, I didn't care what it was. I didn't care if I got hurt. It didn't matter. And um, two weeks ago, on a Friday, I backed a, a uh, township salt truck out of our shop, and I hit a truck and did $1,100 worth of damage to it. And I don't have $1,100 for something like that. And uh, so I just... I scared up to God and said, I don't want to do with this. I don't know how I'm going to pay for this. Well, we got some funds available to pay for it, and I'll still have to pay back. And uh, the next day was my birthday. And birthday at my age is really not that important, but it just, it just was not a very good birthday. And I worked all day long, and it was on a Saturday. And I was just out of shot. I didn't know what else to do. It just seemed like one thing upon another. And uh, the next morning, my dad came down to my room and said that somebody had offered to pay in full for my trip out here. Day before, two days before I left to come here, a mom called me and told me that my tax refund was eleven hundred dollars. I just wanted to share that as sitting by the benefit. And also, I want to thank all the staff here with little children. I've never seen little children more more in tune with God. Um, I've never seen more behavioral children. And I want to thank the mothers of those children. One of them is very pregnant and she's been here every single day. And I just want to thank you for that. So I have five year old brothers and sisters and I know how hard it's been for my mom to be able to go out in public that way. And I just want to thank all the staff. So, and everybody that I've met here, everybody from the West has a very open heart and they're willing to help. And Jesus does shine through that. I've been trying to think how I'd describe this week. 
and I figured out how I would describe it. And heaven came down, and glory filled my soul. Because I decided four years ago when it happened to me, if I could ever, ever give the Lord back anything, ever back up to the door and let Him run the all through my ear and make a difference for just one soul, I'd do it. And I watched the papers go in there. And I don't think there's any of the staff here thinks they've wasted their time. Matter of fact, I'd like for all the staff to raise your hand if you feel like heavens came down and glory filled your soul. And I'd like for young people to turn around and see the hands. Pete, is there anything else that you... Suzanne has something to say. You want to come up here? Does everybody can hear you? I think they can hear you from here. Yeah.